You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. It's a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, spent yesterday celebrating my son's 12th birthday. We went up to Palm Springs on the aerial tramway to the mountains. And you, the, the best thing I like about that is you just park on the ground floor on the bottom of the mountain. And then you look up and you have a vision of snow and fun and it's all the way up there. And you're like, how am I going to get up there? I don't want to drive. And you take this wonderful tram that just takes you 10,000 feet in the air. And when you get there and you see the snow, the vision becomes clearer. And we just played around and had a good time. And uh, it's wonderful. If you guys get to, to thank God for the rains we've been having, because it has given us some beautiful snow in our mountains. And it's helping with our drought. We're not out of the drought yet, but... Um, we, were, we were saying, like, Lord, just keep raining on us as new life. Keep uh, sending your rain to us, spiritually speaking, so that we can overcome this drought that we've probably been in in our lives. Amen? And so we're talking about this uh, series called Walking on Water. And last week, Pastor Ken presented uh, what it means to, to, to seek God's vision for our life. You see, we might have this personal dream, this vision. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream, right? But you know that God has a dream for each and every one of our lives. We might have our own dreams. We might think, this is what I want my life to be like. These are the achievements I have in mind. This is the uh, security I want in my relationships. This is the significance I want in society. Uh, but that's what our kingdom is like. That's what my kingdom is, wants to look like. But what about God's kingdom? What does uh, he envision our life to be? And where do we fit into his grand story? The Bible says that he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God has a God-given, God-sized destiny for our lives. And so are we aligned to that vision that he has for us? Or do our goals, do our uh, desires and pursuits come in conflict, come at odds with what God wants for us? What does he want to do in and through our lives so that he and he alone gets the glory, so that his greatness is on display, and so that God could bless the world through us? And so if you missed last week's sermon by Pastor Ken, Check it out online this week on our website and uh, just, just listen to that. Uh, try to, to, to understand what is God wanting to do in and through our lives for 2017. The idea of walking on water comes from the gospel, the gospels where uh, Jesus is walking on water. And where is Peter and the disciples? Where are they? They're on the boat. And they see Jesus walking on the water. And Jesus tells Peter to go ahead and come out of the boat and come to him. And Peter steps out in faith. And for a moment of time, he is doing what is impossible. He is walking on water towards Jesus. And eventually his faith slips and he loses focus. And Jesus does what he always does. He rescues Peter, and he rescues those who are in need. And oftentimes in scripture, we read about God's people being in places, in situations that are impossible, and he always comes through for his people to save them, to redeem them, to restore them. Remember in Exodus, the Israelites are on the shores of the Red Sea, and there's an impossible situation that's ahead of them because 
In hot pursuit are the Egyptians with Pharaoh and his army. They are trying to get these Israelites back to Egypt. And through this impossible situation allowed the Lord to work through his servant Moses. And so when Moses raises up his arms, the Red Sea splits and divides into two so that his people, the Israelites, can cross over to safety on the other side, just in time for the waters to collapse over the pursuing Egyptian army. And so impossible situations are times when God can come through and show and display his power and his plan through the obedience of his servants like Moses and like you and like me. 2017, what vision has God placed on your heart? What God-sized goal has he put on your life? Take a moment right now, and if you, you were here last week, you probably have been thinking about this for a week or so, but just think about a God-sized vision that he might have for you for this year, and jot that down on your piece of paper that you have with you. What, what does he have in store for your family? Maybe it is an impossible situation. Maybe it's a relationship challenge that you're facing, and God wants to intervene and do something in that relationship. Maybe you're in debt and you need God's help to get you out of debt so that you can become more generous this year. What is your kingdom contribution going to be like? Maybe you want to start a business. God's placed this this, this mission on your heart to start a business that gives glory and honor to his name. And it's impossible because you don't have the funding to do it. Maybe you need to get a better education and you don't have the funding to do that. Maybe he has... uh, calling you to the mission field or to support a missionary. Whatever it is, whatever vision God has placed in your life or in your family's life, write that down, like Pastor Ken said last week. Write it on the tablets. Write it, run with it. Keep it clear in front of you. Lord, this is your goal for my life. See, God's given us a vision. He's given us a dream, but he hasn't left us alone to accomplish it on our own. We need one another As we gather together in community every Sunday or every time we gather in life groups or on our worship and prayer nights um, like we have this Friday, God has called us together to, uh, to, 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 so he can pour out his vision on our lives, on our church, so that we will unite together in prayer with our hearts and minds and our hands uh, in unity to bless the world with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not on our own. We have one another, and we have the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John 15, chapter 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can't do it without the Lord's help. So as you've written something down, God's vision for your life, you got to ask yourself, is this possible? Can I do this on my own, or is it impossible enough that I need God to do it with me or for me? Because we're going to face challenges. We're going to face intimidating obstacles. We're going to face impossible circumstances that we're going to say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. It's an insurmountable uh, situation. But here's the big idea. Why does God even give us these challenges in our lives? He allows us to face impossible challenges because he and he alone receives glory 
when we trust him to do what we cannot do. God allows us to face these challenges because he gets the glory when we can't do it. He does it when we trust him to do it. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So you've written something down, I hope. Take some time this week. Think about that, God, that God-sized vision in your life. Maybe you need to make some Christ-honoring changes in your life with your time, with your money. Decisions that you make about entertainment or where you go on vacations or certain boundaries that you might need to put on relationships that, it, that you're in. Those are impossible to do on your own. And so I want you to write that down and think about how God is going to be glorified through your life as you make these changes. Is it possible? If it's possible, then it's got to be bigger than that. If you can't do it on your own, then we need to allow God to do it in and through us. So we're going to look at this story in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Would you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in your Bibles? And we're going to get some insights from the life of one of the kings in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles is after First Chronicles. It's after First and Second Kings. It's before Ezra. And there's this king in Judah named King Jehoshaphat. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, Jehoshaphat? Jumping Jehoshaphat. Has anyone heard that term? It's, uh, I don't know where it comes from. It's an American term. It's not in the Bible, by the way. But King Jehoshaphat is the great-grandson of King Solomon. You guys know who King Solomon is? He is the son of King... King David. Okay. We need some more Old Testament uh, or Sunday school lessons here. All right. King David, his son is King Solomon... And in the beginning of 2 Chronicles, King Solomon has just taken the throne, and he is a king that, that, of Israel, and they have a time of peace and prosperity in the land. There are no wars going on. They have uh, made alliances, or, 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 or they, they have peace with all their surrounding neighbors. And it allows King Solomon to do what King David could not do. He builds a temple in Jerusalem and dedicates it to the Lord. But after King Solomon dies, what happens to the nation of Israel? It gets divided. It goes to bits. And all of the uh, following kings, uh, they turn their backs from God and they follow in their own ways. And so the nation of Israel is divided into north and south, similar to the civil war we experience here in America, but decades longer than that, or, or centuries even. Now, the northern kingdom is called Israel, and all of their kings are bad because they worshiped idols and they turned away from the living God. But in the south, the southern kingdom called Judah, there were a few good kings. And the Bible tells us that King Jehoshaphat was a good king. Why is that? Because he followed in the Lord's ways and he sought to realign his life as well as the life of the nation with the word of God. And he did his best to purify and purge the land of all the idols. And so here we are in our story. King Jehoshaphat, one of the good kings, he follows God wholeheartedly. But in the midst of the reform that he's doing in the land, in the midst of the cleansing of the land from false worship, he is 
uh, encountering a situation that is impossible. It is intimidating. The nation of Judah is on the brink of destruction. And so we'll start by reading 2 Chronicles verse 1. It says, after this. After what? After uh, Jehoshaphat had just done all of these reforms to restore the nation back to God. After he was uh, living out the vision of God for his life. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites with some of the Mayunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi, or in these days it's the Ayan Gedi. Jehoshaphat was living out God's vision for his life. And then he encounters a vast army, an alliance of enemy nations that declares war on the nation of Judah. They were almost there, 15 miles away in the En Gedi. They would cut off the water. They would cut off the food supplies. They would lay siege to Jerusalem. And, uh, and they, they, would, they would camp there until the nation surrendered. And so Judah was facing bloodshed and destruction, famine, drought, hardship, impossible situations. Death loomed on the horizon. And Jehoshaphat's life and his entire kingdom were on the brink of doom. So how would you respond in that situation? Let's see how King Jehoshaphat responded. Verse 3. Alarmed. Yeah, we'd all be alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. You guys make any resolutions this year? Jehoshaphat made a resolution. He resolved to inquire of the Lord, and that, to be, that ought to be our go-to response as well. Would you tell your neighbor, resolve to seek the Lord? A resolution is a way of saying, I'm going to set my face to do this. I'm going to be determined not to give in and not to give up. But not, it's not just a sense of self-determination like we do with our New Year's resolutions. I am determined to lose weight or I'm determined to work out or eat right. And then we fail two days later. The determination that Jehoshaphat had was a determination to seek the Lord. And he does two interesting things. He proclaims a fast, and he makes space for the people to gather. Now, one of the things I want to talk about this morning is fasting. It's a spiritual activity. It's a way that we can humble ourselves before God and focus ourselves to listen to God's voice. You guys ever encounter a crisis? What is the first thing that we usually do? We panic. We worry. We try to come up with our own strategy or solution. But Jehoshaphat responds by resolving to seek the Lord first. Fasting is a good way for us to start doing that. Jehoshaphat fasted, and he called all the people to fast and pray. And so you and I, too, can fast and pray, not just to say, look how spiritual I am, look how religious I am starting off the year, but no, to say, look, Lord, I want to focus on you. I want to hear your voice. And so by fasting, we can listen to God's voice. We can 
listen for his direction, his guidance, and we can seek him for intervention. Fasting is not very popular as far as a spiritual discipline is concerned, but it does have power when it's done right. Fasting can be a way for us to seek God and focus on his character. How strong is your God? What is your God like? How loving is he? How awesome is he? How holy is he? How creative is he to do a mighty work in your situation? When we fast, we become more aware of God's limitless resources, of God's amazing character, of his ability to overcome any obstacle and impossibility. Along with that, fasting can create a readiness in us to respond and obey to God when he speaks. So when crisis looms on the horizon, what are we going to do? First, resolve to seek God. We're going to give up something for the sake of hearing and responding to his word. Now, fasting can be a fast from anything, uh, maybe a meal or a few meals, maybe a certain type of food that you really enjoy. But for many of us, I think media is something we need to consider fasting from. Anyone here binge watch Netflix all the time? Maybe that's something we need to consider fasting from. Why? Not just to show ourselves as holy, but because we want to take some time instead of watching hours and hours of TV or spending time at the buffet all the time. We want to spend time listening to the voice of God and saying, Lord, what is it you want me to uh, know about this year? What's your vision for the year for me? We've prepared some fasting guides for you. Some of, them, some of you have taken some last week, and uh, we can print out more if we run out. But if you just get on our weekly email, I can email you those fasting guides. And you can do it together as a family. You can do it as a life group. You can do it as, you know, a brother to a brother or a friend to a friend. Get in the groups and say, we're going to fast from Buffet or Netflix or all these different things, Facebook, for a while so that we can listen to the voice of God. And Jehoshaphat does that. He tells his people, we're going we're gonna to fast today. And he prays this incredible prayer that I want us to pay attention to. It's a very instructive and model prayer that we can, uh, we, we can use for our own lives Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, The Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, Verse 8, they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. There are two noble, notable things, noble features of King Jehoshaphat's prayer. After resolving to seek God, he proclaims God's sovereign power and he declares God's faithful promises. And so when we seek God, start off by proclaiming God's sovereign power and his faithful promises. The first part of his prayer, he says, God, you rule over all things. 
No one can withstand you. And then he reminds God of his redemptive promises. You're the God who brought us here. You're the God who settled us in this land. You allowed us to build a temple in your name. And you promised God that when calamity strikes, when violence comes against us, when plague or famine or war come our way, if we come into your presence and cry out to you in prayer, you, God, will hear and deliver us. You know what he's referring to there? 2 Chronicles 7, 12 to 15. It's his great-grandfather, King Solomon. After King Solomon builds the temple and dedicates it to the Lord, the Lord responds to King Solomon by saying, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. King Jehoshaphat remembered the promise that God spoke to his great-grandfather Solomon. And he reminds God, or better yet, God reminds him, right? That God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is powerful and faithful in keeping his promises. And so Jehoshaphat makes this faith declaration in prayer. And he, rem he reminds all the people that if God promised to come through for us back then, he will come through for us today. And you know what, church? God's faithfulness endures to us to this very day. From generation to generation, God is faithful. Would you tell that to someone? God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to remind ourselves of that, right? We, really, we need to remind ourselves that God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He, he promises to show up and intervene in times of trouble. And his promises hold true to this day. So whenever the church comes together and we seek God together and we proclaim his sovereign power together and we declare his promises together, guess what? God will come through and God will intervene and God will deliver and God will save, and God will work in our midst. Amen? Amen? King Jehoshaphat prays. His prayer continues in um, verse 10. He says to the Lord, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is a prayer of humility. King Jehoshaphat has an army at his disposal. He has resources. And yet he recognized that the situation is beyond his control. And he admits here, we have no power to face this vast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat 
admitted total dependence on God. And when we're faced with similar situations, we need to humble ourselves and admit total dependence on God. God, I don't have the power to face this army. The the situation is beyond my control, and so what do I got to do? I got to give up control. I got to stop pretending that I can solve this on my own. And I got to say, God, my eyes are on you. I'm depending on you for this. How often do we pray our own strategies to God? We say, God, here's my strategy. Bless it. How often do we say, God, here's my plan for this year. This is my vision. Bless it. Make it happen. As if he's some personal genie in the bottle who will grant us our wish whenever we come to him. But no, we need to come to God with an attitude of emptying ourselves of all control and say, God, I cannot do it on my own. I need you. You are now in control. Because when crisis looms, part of our discipleship process, folks, is when, when we encounter situations, we need to depend on God more. We need to deepen that dependence on him. So admit your total dependence on God. Moving on, verse 13. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. I love this picture of families getting together to seek God's face. Do it with your family. Bring your wife, your children, your little ones even, the babies together and stand before God. This is what happened. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. He was a prophet, son of those guys. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Would you turn to someone behind you and tell them the battle is not yours, but God's? Tell it to someone else. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, Jehaziel said, tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with us when we go out and face our battles. Listen up, folks. We don't have to make excuses anymore for not pursuing God's plan for our life. We might say, it's impossible. I cannot move forward and, and do the things that, I've, that God has called me to do. But the Lord says, I'm going to fight your battle for you. All you got to do is obey me. Go. Do what I have told you to do. Go take your position. Stand firm and watch me work. Listen to me, God says, and watch me move. Listen to God and watch him move. When you're faced with a circumstance that you know is impossible, God wants you to listen to him and watch him move. Sometimes we pray for intervention and say, God, just do it. Just come through for me. Intervene. I give up, but I don't want to do anything. And that's not the attitude we should have. God says, I got this. I'm going to fight your battle for you, but you got to go and watch me do it. You got to stand firm. 
You got to face those issues. You got to face those problems. You got to face those people who give you problems. But let me do the work. Let me come through for you in this battle. We don't want, we're, we're not just asking God, bail me out, and I'm just going to sit back and relax and watch you do it and wait for you to do it. We're going to say, God, bail me out. Do the impossible in and through my life, but I want to see it because I want to have a testimony to share with other people about how you worked in and through my life. So you got to fight. You got to stand your ground. You got you you to you gotta let him fight for you, but you got to stand your ground and allow him to deepen your, depend, your dependence on him. Allow him to deepen your faith. Be a witness to his work. Stand, believe, persevere, take up your positions. The battle is not yours, says the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. But go out and watch him fight for you. And Jehoshaphat does that. Watch what happens. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Notice the response of Jehoshaphat. He is obeying God by sending out the army. God said, go. And so he sends out the army. But notice the weapon that they are wielding. What's the weapon they're wielding? It's a weapon of praise and worship. It's a weapon of praise and worship. You see, praise is a response to God for the revelation of who he is and what he does. And so these people, they're saying, we're going to move forward in praise because God has already shown us who he is and God has already told us what he's about to do. And we believe in him. And so we're going to express that faith by marching out in praise, proclaiming his power. And that's what they do. As they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Notice what God does. He fights the battle for them, and he says, enemies just destroy each other, and the the, the the people of Judah don't even have to put up a fight. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. 
Isn't that amazing what God did in the life of Judah? He annihilated their enemies. He caused the enemies to fight one another, and he fought the battle for the people of Judah. Judah didn't even have to put up a fight. God won this battle for them. And all they had to do was what? Sing, sing praise on their way to victory. And so when you and I are faced with an impossible situation, I want you to press on with praise. Press on with praise. Declare to God how wonderful, how great he is. Declare his sovereign power. Declare his faithful promises. Praise him for who he is. Because he told us, this is not your fight, but you just got to show up. You got to stand firm and you got to praise. And in their minds, the battle was over because God already told them, I got this. I got your battle. I will win your battle. And so all we got to do is press on with praise. When God answers, even before God answers our prayer, start praising him for that answered prayer. Amen? Amen. And so as we encounter situations, as God gives us this vision for our lives, and we're like, God, it's impossible for us to, to accomplish that. We got to rely on him. We got to resolve to seek his face. We, we, we got we to gotta proclaim who he is. We got to declare his promises. We got to um, humble ourselves and say, we're totally dependent on you. And then we got to keep praising him until we see the breakthrough that we've been seeking. Son and daughter, the Lord says, the battle is not yours. It is mine. God says, I will show up. I will bring you victory. I will bring you breakthrough that you're seeking. But you got to praise. And you got to seek his face. And you got to humble himself and say, God, it is all in your control. And so as we conclude today, and worship team, you can make your way up to the stage I want you right now, as you've written down a few things, uh, uh, you've written down a God-sized vision for your life, you've written down uh, something that you might need to fast from to be able to focus and hear his voice, I want you to write down a praise for the victory that you will have for your impossible situation. Write down a word of praise to declare who God is and what he will do on your behalf. So would you do that right now? And we're going to pray, and we're going to praise him after we pray for the breakthrough in our finances, the breakthrough in our relationships, the breakthrough in our future. And as we worship him, we're going to give him praise and glory and honor that is due his name. We might not see victory today, folks, but it will come because we can praise him. We can praise the all-powerful, almighty God for the victory that he has already won for us through Jesus Christ. And God is the God of the impossible. Would you tell that to someone? God is the God of the impossible. So as you stand with me, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us that, that if God has placed a vision, and I believe he has placed a vision on each and every one of our hearts, I want to ask you, are you willing to step out in faith to pursue his kingdom calling? Maybe you're faced with an obstacle and you can't even make that first step of faith. Maybe you're facing a spiritual battle just to give up control of a certain part of your life to the Lord. Maybe you think you can do it on your own and, and, and you have an idea that, that I can do this. I, I know what my life should be like. 
That might be a good idea, but perhaps it's not a God idea and it's not aligned with his best plan for you. And so today you might need to just say, I give up. I give up control of my life, Lord. I resolve to seek you. I proclaim your power and your promises. I admit your total dependence, total dependence on you. And I want to listen to your voice. I want to watch you move. And I want to press on with praise. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if that's you, would you just raise both hands to the Lord and say, that's me, Lord. That's me, Lord. Father, we thank you. I thank you that you've created us in your image to reflect your glory, to be your instruments of blessing for the world. I thank you that that we are your masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. You have a God-sized destiny for each and every one of us. And I pray that in each of and every heart this morning, you will birth a new desire to be more and more like you, to be more, uh, to, to achieve that vision that you have for our life, to rely on you, to, to, to see and dream your dreams and not our own, because you've made us for a purpose. So re- instill in us this, this purpose for why you have called us to be saved. You have chosen us as citizens of your kingdom, and we want to build your kingdom, not our own. So, Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in my life and in the life of my brothers and sisters here, in the life of our church. And, God, I know that there are some in this room who are already right now facing impossible situations. They can't take another step. And so we resolve today not to try to solve our problems on our own, not to worry, not to let... uh, problems cause us to be discouraged we resolve today to seek your face we set our hearts to you like Jehoshaphat did we humble ourselves we want focus in our lives so if we need to fast I pray that you'll give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to fast from things that are distracting us from you remove the things in our life that are hindering us from hearing your voice and help us to fast so that we can draw near to you, so that we could be aligned with your vision, so that we could be nourished by your holy word. Lord, you are our sovereign king, and we surrender all control to you, and we rest in your faithful promises that endure throughout all generations. We want to listen to your directions and obey them. We we don't want to do things our way anymore because it doesn't work anymore. We want to do things your way, so we praise you right now And we press on in praise. We worship you because you are who you say you are. You are the God of the impossible. You are always with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You will fight our battles for us. And you are always going to be victorious. And so we praise you right now for the victory that we have. In Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.